0: Hey, you're tuned into The Show on the Road, my weekly music discovery podcast where I bring you artists and songwriters from around the world that I think you should be listening to right now. My name is Zach Lupertin, and our guest this week is someone who I think you're going to really love.
1: My name is Amy Helm. I'm a singer and a songwriter and a bit of a hack mandolin player, a little drums, a little piano. Um, I come from Woodstock, and I uh, was born and raised here. And my dad was a musician named Lee Helm who was in a group called the Band. Darling, dress softly
2: around me, baby. You might bring the light of day, but I'm uneasy. Saddy
0: Man, there is just something about Amy Helm's voice. It sounds like An angel coming down into a church that has nothing to do with God, but has everything to do with community and heart and feeling and family. Do you know that 55% of Americans say they believe in angels, according to Psychology Today? And a study back in 2018 said that 60% of Americans said they've seen a ghost. When I listen to Amy Helm's music, when I listen to her sing, I can hear the spirits of her ancestors, of her father coming through her. It was an honor talking to her. I'm sorry our sound is a little bit off here and there, but I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation. Here she is now, the singing songbird of upstate New York, Amy Helm.
1: But you and I have met in passing, I think, haven't we?
0: Yeah, I think in, I feel like, I want to say the Sisters Folk Fest in Oregon. Oh, yeah. Have you ever played that? Yeah,
1: played, I've played Sisters. Yeah. I had an epic fail at Sisters Folk Fest, which was maybe one of the funniest things I've ever experienced, actually, kicking right into a that's into um,
0: what we're here school. for.
1: So, yeah. So this was two years ago or three years ago. I get booked on Sisters. I got a really good slot, really good time slot, real prime time.
0: Was this the fire year?
1: No, I I was supposed to be there the fire year two, and this was my reschedule from that. I guess it was the year after. Really good time slot, man. Really envious uh-huh. positioning right there.
0: Like a nine p.m. Like days. a nine
1: p.m. headliner kind of hit. You know, big tent, big tent, six, seven, eight hundred people packed.
2: Nine and a band called.
1: The Little Smokies had just did a set that had people just over the moon, man. People were happy. (laughs) And I got out there. I had a great fucking band with me, but they were loud as shit. I had like a rock and roll band with me.
2: Yeah.
1: And shit, we kicked into Didn't It Rain, and the intro is like this door that's and the guitar kicks in with this uh-huh. and this amp, and I'm like, yes, we're gonna kill this set. And Martha Scanlon, who you may know, who's a dear, dear friend of mine, incredible singer-songwriter, She was hanging on the sidelines and cheering me on and she said that it was like watching Moses part the Red Seas and that all of a sudden there's just this funnel of hundreds of people in droves just exiting the tent, just fleeing from the sound.
0: It always makes me think about those... uh moments when bob dylan and the band you know obviously your dad on those trips through europe and different places when they went electric and people would just boo and throw things at them and leave
1: oh Oh, i know for
0: years
1: yeah my dad described that to me it was like how could you not love this band he didn't in fairness to compare our stories i just want to say for the record. I did not get booed. It was polite folk festival showing, let me show you my ass as I leave your set, but I won't say anything mean. But yeah, the booing, my dad didn't couldn't take it. He didn't stay for years on that. He, Do you know that my dad left? Did you know that story? He left that tour. I think he endured it for a few months and he left the tour and he quit and he went to work on an oil rig in New Orleans.
0: You know, easy work.
1: Anything but but doing what you love, right? Playing your like your craft that you've like worked on endlessly. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Hold on, i go fix the fence. Hold on, it just okay. fell down, hang on.
2: Okay, it's alright, it's okay. It's just a fence.
0: You're so and crazy. Amy's exiting frame. She's uh, corralling the dogs. I'm gonna keep narrating until this comes back. Uh, I see a lace curtain in her backdrop. Um, I think she's in Woodstock.
2: Um, yeah, I, I
1: I, have to say, I always admired him for doing that. Like the pressure of being told by everybody that, you know, you know you were on such an such an important and um high profile tour and so much attention on it and such a big deal and i always thought that was really awesome that he was like mm, fuck it not worth it you know well see
0: bob i think almost probably got off from that because he has that kind of i don't care what you think mentality, but other people I think are much more sensitive. It really hurts your soul when people are turning on you, you know, every night.
1: Sure. And like for those guys, you know, they weren't, they weren't, they hadn't worked for like 15 years playing three shows a night, seven days a week, like to then be his band. I mean, with all due respect to Bob Dylan, it wasn't their final landing. Wasn't what they envisioned as where they wanted to land. So I think that they were, you know, they were full of their own vision and drive at that point, which is, um, which is cool too. I mean, those guys had. I I often think about that, and the older I get and the more I see the music industry change, I think about it more and more. How amazing it must have been to be alive in a time where you could play as many shows as you could handle in a week. You know, this is like a career choice that people, some people decided to be plumbers, some decided to be carpenters, some decided to be a bass player. And you could go do that and make a living and raise a family and, you know, find an easy, you didn't have to be a star or try to get um, likes on a social media platform. You just got to go work, you know and i get, think it's disappearing a bit
0: well i think a lot of us coming out of this pandemic shutdown have had to reevaluate whether or not this life is even possible right i'm,
1: Absolutely. I'm i was evaluating yeah. that before the shutdown well yeah <laughs> there's not a single working musician who hasn't had a moment in the van where you're like is this gonna is this working out like especially once you start having kids and raising a family so yeah
0: And you didn't release your first solo record till your mid 40s, right?
1: Yeah, I was 44 when I put my first record out. And I just turned 50 in December and put my third record out.
0: When you're making your own music, and obviously you've been a part of a lot of other bands, you know, you sing beautiful uh, harmonies with folks like Steely Dan and uh, Roseanne Cash. Um,
1: And William, wait, let me, let me have, let me brag for a minute because I'm really proud of this one. Go on. One of the coolest harmony gigs that I've ever gotten to do was to sing side by side in the same section as my dear friend, Catherine Russell, who is a profoundly immensely talented singer. So getting to sing with her is always like a masterclass and she does all kinds of jazz and and she, she does everything. She does her own recording and touring as a jazz artist, but she's also sang for every superstar in the world. She's kind of like done every harmony gig for every star. But she and I got to sing for William Bell. And for anybody listening who isn't familiar, mm. William Bell was the first artist to record for Stax. And he wrote, born under a bad sign. Mm-hmm. And he wrote, you don't miss your water till your well runs dry. And he is in his 80s and still an astonishing performer. And that, that was the coolest harmony singing I ever did.
2: Oh, how I cry. You don't miss your water.
0: Well I think there's a really cool thing happening right now where uh, older seasoned mature yeah. artists are yeah. being appreciated as new artists right yeah people like um,
1: or as relevant as 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 important to the moment right yeah they're
0: not being phased out because they're not right. a hot young teenager though the hot young teenagers are doing quite well for themselves yeah um right. billy eilish but i'm saying the right. folks like you who have had the time and the history uh yeah. to really gather your influences gather your experiences and put out work that is fully realized right away right i can see the history that you came from in the woodstock scene with your dad but i also see your own kind of gospel blues you have a voice that that really rises like a bird for me like it really like soars you know and that has nothing to do with your dad or nothing to do with previous uh music it's your sound
2: i loved you the minute you walked through the door started humming a love song humming Slow. your eyes me now i'm hypnotized baby see how i'm trying to hide it's
0: such a beautiful thing what you've created on this record um and the funny thing is that you know you did this with uh, this guy josh kaufman who's also working with someone like Taylor Swift, right? So he's bringing some sort of a modern uh, sensibility, bringing the pop world into this Americana roots world. What was it like working with him and creating uh, "What the Flood Leaves Behind"?
1: Yeah, it was really amazing. Thanks for for sharing those that feedback with me. I, I, um, yeah, you know, I working with Josh was incredible. I just love him, and I found that, you know, he and I just have incredible chemistry and we yeah. just finish each other's sentences and when that starts to translate into musical thoughts, you know, when I was preparing material for the record, we would start to fool around with a chorus and I would begin to sort of tell him where I thought the shape needed and he was just right there with me. It was like we were just yeah. in it and it made the... um you know i've had that kind of chemistry of course with I, i've had the opportunity and still do to play with so many wonderful friends and and people that are like you know your, your your players become your family that's like your tribe and i have a lot of that in my life um but to have that chemistry in preparing the songs and then the production around them and the performance of them for an album was a really special thing and i think that it it is part of what um, part of what grounded me. I felt very different doing this record, and back to something that you said a moment ago about sort of becoming a different season in your life, you know, having, you know, in my late 40s and just turned 50 and preparing to do this record and kind of all of my experiences were distilled into the songs in a different way, not better or worse, just different from where they were even in my mid 40s, even when I made my first solo record, and then you compare it to where you were, you know, with Olabel, which is a band I sang with for 10 years when I was in my 30s. I mean, you kind of, it's such a reward to go deeper into your art and to recognize it as just closer to, you know, your truth becomes easier to express. That's kind of what I felt. And I think that chemistry with Josh and the players on the record helped um galvanize all of that and the other the other piece of the record that was a that was an interesting component of it for me was doing it at the barn Mm -hmm. i recorded it at my dad's studio where he hosted the midnight rambles for years and obviously you know this this building his his home and his recording studio and this place where i grew up learning music there right um so that was a big that was a that was a real piece of the album for me too the actual physical space of it
0: do you think you ever feel your dad sort of watching over you as you lay down your own music
1: i'll tell you the truth i really did during that record i really i i always do and you know we always have they're always with us right and, and yeah. when you when you i don't know if you have both your parents but but um you know when you lose a parent you, they, they come in and out in such in such beautiful and mysterious kind of ways that you feel all the time. But um, during this record I did really feel him a couple times very strongly. It was it was pretty cool. There's a
2: sorrow in the
0: Going back to the Stacks idea, I think uh, breathing that track has the brass and that down-home feeling. It feels feels like it could have been dropped from a 70s outtake, you know?
1: Isn't, isn't that a great horn line? I love that horn line that those guys came up with. The horns on that track are so, so boss. I love them.
0: But You can also tell though that it was made, I think, from a pop producer in a way because the song is like two and a half minutes long. Yeah. And then it stops and yeah. it makes you want to like play it again. You yeah. Know? And I was almost like mad. I was actually mad when it ended. I was like, wait, what? This is Americana music. We can go five and a half minutes. It's totally fine. This isn't getting mainstream radio play. But maybe it, maybe it will. Who knows?
1: <laughs> I don't I, I don't I love that it's short. I love I like short songs. <laughs> I like short sad, and short songs.
2: And we can be the moon and the
1: We well, so I wrote that song with my friend JT Nero, He's in a band called Birds of Chicago. Good friend. And um he and i and his wife allison russell who's a great singer songwriter she has an incredible album out right now we have this side project called the capital Sunrays, mm. which is us with luther dickinson and graham lesh and i actually play drums in that band so we had jt and i had written that tune and i performed it just a handful of times with me playing drums so the first thing that we did was drop it down into the the very steady hands of Tony Mason, who was the drummer on this record, who was really, you know, some guys just have that pocket and he has that that kind of almost Al Green, Mm. simple, tight, and really no flourishes. Um, So yeah, I feel like, I don't know, the, the rhythm section is so great on that track.
0: let's talk real quick about that song cotton and the cane um, oh yeah because obviously you came from not just one musical parent but your mom was also a uh, working singer-songwriter for many years um, and you know you talk about you know the the troubled upbringing that sort of you had to go through and your dad obviously went through uh, heroin addiction and you know experiencing this s- sudden fame that Maybe he never thought would happen to him as a sharecropper's son, yeah, and he to this day is obviously beloved and and uh lionized for his his work as a drummer, but for you, he was your dad who would sometimes not treat you and everyone else around him well, you know yeah. you you just wanted a dad, and he yeah. was so many things mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. totally. Yes, all true. Um, Yeah, you know, I think that, well, growing up, when you're growing up in a household where addiction is present, it's you're going to have, you know, it's a very similar experience whether you're living in Beverly Hills or you're living, (laughs) you know, regardless of what your economic um, status is or what your parents even do for a living, I think that the, you know, feeling feeling the kind of, it's, it's an abandonment, I think, that a lot of people feel growing up um, with parents who love you, but just can't do any better than what they're doing. it's their disease and not them and that they don't have a better toolbox that's a really tough thing to understand when you're little um and i do think that uh i've not really really thought about this lately but i do think that his fame or anybody who has some kind of a public platform you know growing up he wasn't famous famous it wasn't like that i mean there was many years when he was no one knew who he was. I had one or two friends whose parents uh-huh. knew Triple Creek. You know, I didn't grow up with like it, his, his fame and his, um, his name recognition actually became more present for me later in my life, like more into my thirties when he yeah. had sort yeah. of a, a renaissance of his own. But um, I think having anyone with a public, pla- public platform accompanying that addiction, you're right, it is a weird thing to see someone admired and regarded so highly. And then it feels like the truth of what you're holding feels so sh- extra shadowed, I think. Um, so, yeah, and I was really, you know, I mean, he he did kick heroin and got sober, and that's a big part of what allowed him to build the rambles at his home. and record three records. And he and I had a very, um, I would say a very profound reconnection of our relationship, which had been fractured for many years because of addiction. Um, So I was very fortunate to get to experience that with him to really heal that, that divide and find forgiveness and, and and make music. <laughs> I mean, that's what we did. You know, that's what my dad and I did. Yeah. We came back together. I joined his band. He pulled me under his wing. He gave me more courage and confidence to grow as an artist. And it was it was a very special experience in my life.
0: I have to say that uh, you were one of the people who inspired uh, my band, Dust Bowl Revival, to start doing these concerts out on our... Uh, driveway basically in my driveway early oh, on in the great. in the pandemic oh, yeah. when I saw yeah. you doing those curbside uh right. concerts in yes. Woodstock I was like well we should do that in LA in some form and we started oh, kind of just filming them on my cell phone and then putting them on Facebook. Oh and, that's
2: so cool. Uh
0: then we started this sway at home thing where we had like mini festivals with Mary Gaucher was one of the people on there. And we did well, a couple like cool. backyard concerts, you know, but I was like, if Amy Helms doing this over there, why can't we do this over <laughs> here? That sounds oh, like a good so idea.
1: Great. That's so great. How was that for you guys? It was really cool to do it. I had a great experience with it. Was it that way for you all?
0: The suede home thing was really great. Cause it was like having that? the uh-huh. experience of a music festival with friends and artists from around the country who could kind of, gather in one virtual space. Um yeah. the actual like backyard dust bowl delivery idea never fully took off because I think the restrictions were too intense yeah. in LA County. LA County was like the worst place on earth for a little sure. while for COVID. Yeah. So sure. we were not fully allowed to do <laughs> the yeah. stuff like I would have hoped, but um sure. I think I it was the that. idea that was really that's cool. Probably, yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, thank, yeah, that's great, that's so cool. Yeah, we, we we didn't, um, we went to, I didn't film it and didn't share it specifically for that because we were sort of like, we weren't doing anything illegal, really. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, because I was like, well, if this Amazon truck can like pull up yeah. and the guy yeah. can walk a box up to the porch, then I can stay at the end of the driveway and sing. And they can wear a mask and nothing's going to happen, right? You know, so, but we kept it very, you know, it was just more of a community service thing. I didn't yeah. do an actual yeah. concert. I just would do a couple songs. And, you know, it was it was intense, you know, because things were, we, obviously Woodstock wasn't, the cases weren't as extreme as LA, but we were so close to the city, to New York City, which was the epicenter of the beginning yeah. of yeah. it. So there was this... You know, and when you're out in the country, that lockdown feels exaggerated because you're not seeing people, you're like shut down, you right. know, I think. So it it, um, it was moving to do those curbsides when I did it. I actually had quite a few nurses that were on the front lines fighting this goddamn thing, coming back to their yard and sitting there for a minute. And I would sing like Atlantic City to them. Yeah. And they would just like cry and thank me and go back to their shift. It was heavy.
2: Well, I got a job and I put my money away. But I got the kind of debt no honest man.
0: dad used to play in, like, nursing homes in different places? Did I read that right?
1: You know, my dad and I used to play in the, the um, pediatric, the oncology department, the Sloan Kettering pediatric floor. at Slo- So Sloan Kettering is a big oncology hospital in New York right. City. And we played it on the pediatric floor there for, for many times, actually.
0: I wish that, like, I could go back in time just, like, for a couple hours with my dad and like see that band in its element.
1: Oh man, yeah. Before it
0: all slipped away, you know, because I it was know. a unique. It was a unique thing that I think people only now are realizing uh, how sort of important it was. Because it was really the Americana movement. It was like the seed of the Americana movement.
1: Right, right.
0: So when you started doing the rambles with your dad, um, did that start to give you the confidence to? see your solo work coming to the fore?
1: Yes, I think so, yeah, yeah. Um, I just wanna say I share the, the desire to be able to go back in time, you know, cause I got to go to some shows, of course, when I was a kid, but I was so, I didn't know. Yeah, I, didn't, I thought that my dad played drums in Rick Danko's band. Yeah. I really, like I really did when I was six or seven, I was like, okay. I know the song Stage Fright, I get it, I like it. And I was like, okay, that's Rick's song. He's Rick's drummer and that's cool. I'll go watch Stage Fright and then I'll go back to like wherever the other kids are and whatever, you know what I mean? So I share your desire to do that. Um, yes, I, yeah, the solo, I, 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 um, definitely the rambles informed that and and compelled me to do that. I mean, I think my dad was always pushing me to do that before I was even ready. He wanted to see me do that. Um, but yeah, I just I just followed my, again, I have my whole life and my whole career, I've just followed my instincts and followed chemistry of what's in front of me, the people I'm connecting with, and, and growing from that and knowing that I'm music, that I'm growing musically from that. And it's never led me astray. I've followed, chemistry and instinct over opportunity and money Mm. and i've always made that choice and been very clear about it never questioned it and it's it's always led me to the right next step in myself as a singer you know i was i was talking to a young i'm i love working with younger musicians and i Uh have been kind of mentoring quite a few singers and musicians here in the area Um, and i was talking to this young girl and I was remembering that when when I was her age, you know, I spent a lot of my 20s in my apartment listening to music, yeah. terrified to play. Mm. I didn't want to get up on stage and sing. I didn't know how to hold a song. If you had told me when I was even if you had told me when I was even 35 that I would be able to front a band and do a set that I felt was strong and felt confident about and felt moved the people and got some people dancing and could hold myself in that situation on a big festival stage or something, I wouldn't have even ever believed it. <laughs> so, you know, I was really, I was shy and I, I was listening a lot. And I think that there's, there's never any shame in any season that you have to go through as an artist to find where your comfort is and what you want to say you know um like you were talking about the band being all those pieces of those music i mean we all hold that right we all every record you ever fell in love with as a boy and as a teenager and coming up and same with me i mean i think all of that's in us you know
2: you feel good you feel love. to
0: Go back to that uh, debut record of yours, um, Didn't It Rain. That song, Spend Our Last Dime, you can hear your dad counting in. You
1: know? Yeah, I love that. I love that intro is the best.
0: And his voice is all kind of gravelly and he's like way in the yeah. back. But like the energy is just so full of fire. And then you can yeah. feel your voice again sort of just like rising into the sky.
1: Oh, that's so sweet of you to say, you know, that song... Martha Scanlon wrote that song, uh, who's the, my friend who I was mentioning yeah. from the Sisters Folk Festival. And I always heard my dad singing that song, but right. we never got to cut it. That's what I, I wanted him to sing lead on that song. I could so, so I think when I sang that vocal, I was doing my best to imitate <laughs> the way I thought he might lean into it. That's a great, that's a great track. I love his intro on that. <gasps>
0: It gets harder sometimes as you realize that you worship at the altar of some of these music makers, right, and you want to create your own small place in this universe. Um, And we all become perfectionists in our own way, where we're like, well, this is not up to the standard of these people. But that's like a very tough place to be, because you'll never be satisfied, right? You're never going to be your dad. You're never going to be, uh, you know, Taylor Swift. You're you, right? You have to find your sound and sort of fall in love with yourself, which is like a hard thing to do, you know,
1: which is a, and, and well, it's a it it can be a hard thing to do. And it, it, it unfortunately is now going to become a harder thing to do, given the current Trends of our culture. So, I, I mean, I truly believe that, like, I think that social media, you know, having to devote time to Instagram and to how you appear and how you're seen, how you're perceived, uh-huh. and who likes it, who didn't like it, who checked me out, who didn't check me out, you know, if you imagine that you're going to about to get on stage and do a gig and if you imagine that the the half an hour that you spend before getting on that stage is clocking which musicians are in the audience and who's here and which of my ex-boyfriends is here and who, i'm just i'm just yeah, kind of yeah. pulling all the things any person could be insecure about right who who is she did they did they watch me walking up the steps did he see me did they see if you get into that headspace before you walk out on stage into a gig you're going to suck because your head's not in the music. You know, back to something my dad said, he always said to me, and this is so true, he said, musicians have to treat themselves like athletes. Like when you're out on the road at a certain point, even if you're still young, you can't be fucking around and partying all the time. As a singer, even when I was still young, like by the time you hit 32, 33, you have to guard your voice, you have to eat right. You have to sleep right. You've got to work out if that makes you feel good or do some yoga. You have to not speak a lot. You have to keep your voice maintained. You know, it's your it's your instrument and it's all very physical stuff. Right. And I think that, back to what you said, I think that embracing who we are as artists, you know, there's not, we don't live in a world that is really, geared towards celebrating that in people. It's just an unfortunate truth of it. I mean, it's 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 a flawed industry full of fantastic people, fantastic artists and fantastic people on the other side. I have met some of the most soulful, incredible people who work at record companies and publishing companies. But the blueprint of this industry was flawed from Jump Street. There's yeah. no getting around that. And when you take that and you now imagine all of us trying to mold careers on Instagram, uh-huh. it's 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 gonna be a tough go. It's gonna be up to the younger generations to find a way to um to change that.
0: Well, I think that- it's about it's about finding your own community in the larger scary world, right? I think you found obviously this community in Woodstock and in the Rambles and maybe in the band extended family. And it's finding your niche within the niche within the niche because yeah. everyone everyone has their own little family that will get behind them. It's about finding those people, which is and really hard to do sometimes.
1: Totally, and holding each other up. Like yeah. you'll notice musicians take care of each other. That's why I, I'm so honored to be able to carry on the barn and the rambles and like that this was a place that was built by a drummer for musicians like i can offer your band a gig there and i've helped give you guys a payday and a great experience and a beautiful room to make music in like what a cool thing but musicians we do that for each other naturally most of us you know uh you know connect and try to help each Other. other kind of through so i think i think you're right i think that will be the way that we that we lift up and out of some of the muck that is social media.
0: We'll have our agent get in touch with the barn. Please (laughs) do. But that song that just came out, uh, Sweet Mama, feels like it could be uh, you know, in the band universe, right? Oh,
1: really? That's But in my
0: mind, it's like if the band and the traveling Wilburys got together or something.
1: Cool. I love that song. I I love the um. I like that song too because it's short. I like a short song.
0: (laughs) Well, it feels like it could be on like rock radio in the 70s. You know, it has that that guitar line that feels like we're going into. uh, If you want it, here it is.
1: (laughs) Come and get it. Yeah, right. Yeah.
0: But the harmonica brings it back to something a little more traditional, something old school. Um, and it feels like honestly a song we need right now is we're about to wake up and get back to what we do best which is playing in front of people for real yeah
2: totally yeah cool thanks I'm glad you like it I like that song
1: too and I just want to say too for anybody who might listen to this i'm not down on social media and i also want to want to brag on these three young people that that um i'm lucky enough to have a record company that hired a digital marketing team for me which for me is a big deal because you know i post like once a year because i hate it right Uh but they have really helped me and i think that um I wanna to add to my, to my constructive criticism of social media, I just wanna add for the record that there's a lot of young people that are learning the curve of social media and how it affects artists and they're helping people find their way through. So that's gonna be part of the solution too.
0: Well, for people who don't know the different roles that exist within the uh, album cycle, you know, within the album cycle push, right? You have your record label that, you know, distributes it. You have your manager and your agent who are trying to get you gigs and placements and money to actually fund the future of this endeavor. And then you have your publicist and you have your social media and you have all this stuff that is all part of the thing. And a lot of times artists are asked to do all of that themselves.
1: It is a big, yes, it is like a 10 jobs deal that i have that help right now a big deal and i i know that and i don't take it for granted and i also know that i won't have it in a few months when the record cycles are right. over so yeah it's enjoy it's, it now yeah oh i'm enjoying it are you kidding me this god bless the, the young people god bless the youth
0: and honestly you know this podcast has been around you know three plus years now and a lot of the way I'm able to connect with folks like you is through awesome publicists who really give a shit, you know, who really try to connect their artists to different places that can honor their work, truly listen to their work. Um, and I think five, 10 years ago I stopped listening to music in a real serious honoring way.
1: Interesting.
0: And when you're touring full time.
1: Just because of being burnt out, being on the road a bit, kind of, yeah.
0: It's like the last thing you want to listen to is more music. You're playing 150 shows a year. You're listening to the mixes of your record. You're so wrapped up in your own uh, hopes and dreams that you're not actually listening to what everyone else is creating to sort of Mm -hmm. stoke your own fires.
1: I really relate to that. I'm glad you said that because I'm I'm exactly the same way and trying to pull myself out of it and I'm kind of one of my only friends the guys. I mean pre-covid when we were running around in the van all they do is play music constantly 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 and I didn't want to complain in the van because I didn't want to be the uncool person, you know, when they're like, <laughs> check out this, you know, I, I don't even know what they were listening to all these like deep cuts of these African artists and all this yeah. cool yeah. shit that I should have known about. Um, so but I kind, kind of, of yeah, yeah, but I, I relate too. to you and I still, I still have trouble listening to music when I'm playing too much. I actually can't, I can't take it in. Yeah. Cause you, weird thing. are both
0: competing with it right you're like oh well this is better than me this is what i want to do and now it's making me feel bad about myself sometimes there's that immature thing right
1: right right
0: or there's the just sheer sonic overload thing i need some npr soft whispering in my ear about you know <laughs> the palestinian crisis you know right. i need to like be serious <laughs> i need to be a serious I person
1: whispering to me about a pandemic in my ear yeah no <laughs> god
0: but that song uh, that you open the new record with verse
1: 23 I uh, love that song isn't that a beautiful tune
0: was written by uh,
1: Mike Taylor
0: yeah of his gold From messenger his, yeah um, it feels like uh, I shall be released next generation right
1: Wow I never thought of that till you said it that is it really. Does and I
0: acknowledging everything that came before, trying to honor the people that you love, but also again, that forgiveness, that sense of uh, rebirth and and hope.
1: Yes, I know. Like, you have to
0: have the years of experience to feel that,
1: you know, and that song, like, that's there's something about those lyrics, and there's something about the lift of that chorus melodically, that just, um, that puts everybody, at least when, when we, my experience singing the song, of course, and, and with the players, it puts all of us right there. If you're playing along with it, singing along with it, it, it really does. I, I, I don't know. I'm curious to see how audiences, um, if people connect with that song or not, because when we recorded it, and the few times that I've gotten to sing it since making the record, which hasn't been for an audience, but really just for a video shoot actually that we did just, um, that song has a real, um, it has it has something to it. There is something about it when you start to play it that that feels like that. And I just, that's an interesting connection. I never thought of the I shall be released feeling of it. It does have that. Some got caught in the wanting,
2: some lost the fear.
0: line that comes from the psalm of david the lord is my shepherd and i shall not want it's almost like a a buddhist
2: vibe you know
0: like accept what you cannot have yes and accept what you do have right and be okay now here which is very difficult for us to do right now
1: totally it was it's it's it was wild to you know i made the record two months before the shut the lockdown last year and i decided to title the record what the flood leaves behind and then it was very weird to kind of revisit all of this after a pandemic it was it's it's odd to sing that song now not not odd but it's just um can't help but feel the tug of that the kind of the, the by accidental prophecy of that lyric you know
0: did your parents instill any spirituality or um, sense that there is a higher power when you were a young girl?
1: Um, my dad was a very you know we we he wasn't very religious but he was very spiritual and we we talked about a lot of that stuff. But I always had my own uh, deep connection to that. I was always very interested in religion and and went through a brief period of time actually in my 30s or late 20s where i thought i might want to become a minister
2: Mm. and
1: um kind of did a self-study into a lot of um some of the mystical christian tradition that you know um gave me the ears and eyes to sit in church and take some of the hypocrisy that i couldn't stand of the organized churches especially in christianity um kind of take that away and and just focus on the more Buddhist and mystical teachings of Christ. So I, I've always been really interested in all religions and um and, you know, without without that I don't know how I would have really come through some of the things I had to come through. So I think um by accident through the chaos, they taught me a lot about spirituality because when you're going through chaos, whether you're gonna pl- call it God or whether your thing is just gonna be going into the woods and getting yourself centered and that's your God, you know, how, whatever word, uh, whatever title you give to it, whatever you call it, you need that to survive um, feeling alone. I think we all do.
0: And your oldest son plays drums, right?
1: Yes, he does. He does. He's 13. He just turned 13. And uh, he loves it. He loves it. I'm really, really proud of him. He's really good.
0: Maybe you could do like a Jeff Tweedy, Spencer Tweedy thing where he just, you know, he just joins the band eventually. It's like inevitable.
1: He kind of already has here and there. Uh, He's got a lot of great, you know, we have, I'm sure like you, you know, you have a nice tribe of, of musicians. At your home base, and uh, he's he's got some excellent music teachers too. There's there's some great music teachers here in Woodstock that have really um, are helping him shape shape his playing. And uh, yeah, he's funny. He's into it. You might as well give this kid a negative bank account, negative balance in his bank account, and stick him in a van. Get him on the road. He's uh, he's ready. He's like a lifer. He's already a lifer. It's it's pretty funny.
0: Yeah, you're not a real musician until you've gone through some overdraft fees. You know, that's just how it works.
1: Yes. True. I
0: I liked when I used to go to the uh supermarket in LA with my coin jar. It was like, "Oh, I have I have at least like 20 bucks of like quarters in here. It looks like I'm <laughs> negative $15 on my account right now. Oop, and I'm back in the black."
2: <laughs> <Thanks, laughs> I'm that
1: going trip. Dude, I've done that coin trip many times to the supermarket. I remember those days.
0: Well, this time right now, accidentally for a lot of musicians, is almost a a godsend because it's allowed us to, um, I think, recharge, but also to not be constantly worrying about when the next gig is going to come, when the next paycheck is going to come. Not saying that, every musician should go on unemployment, but it no, feels like and you know what? universal income for musicians.
1: Yes, and you know what? Just the other night, I was at uh, uh, hanging out with, with my friend, Rachel Yamagata, who's here in Woodstock, who's an incredible singer-songwriter. And she was talking about, and she said, and she was so right, I thought, yes. She said, fuck yes, musicians run on, let them get unemployment. They deserve it. Musicians work their asses off, you yeah, know, and ass. musicians don't have a union unless you're doing a Broadway gig or club dates. You don't have a lot of there's not a great support system for musicians. I don't know a single musician who has health care. You know, I mean, it's a rough it's not, as I said before, it's this is not a well designed industry. Right. Right. So. I think it's great that musicians are getting unemployment. It makes me so happy and it feels so ethically and spiritually correct. Don't you think?
0: Well, again, the idea of a stipend, like a cultural stipend for the people creating the soundtrack to your world, right? How else do you expect this music to be created, right? These people have to live. I mean, yes, it would be more affordable for me to live in, like, Nebraska than it than it would be to live in L.A. But right. so many people that I've met here from all over the world have come to L.A. to make the magic happen, right? That's the unique thing about this town and other cultural hubs. It's like people are here to really do it, not to, like, think about it, you know, right. to really do it. And it's daunting, I think, when you have a band – Uh, like mine in Dust Bowl Revival, that's been around for 10 plus years. And we've, you know, toured 10, 12 different countries and played festivals all over the world. But like, the ups and downs are real. And I think right now we're having some people leave the band. We have new people coming in and you have to win back your audience, you know, which is a frightening place to be because you're like, are people going to show up when we finally get back out there? And we don't know.
1: Yeah. I hope that people step up and really, you know, really remember to support live music. It's so hugely important to do it. It's, it's, you know, I hope that every musician that walks out onto a stage has, has as many people as can legally be held in a space with all these. The restrictions are rough, you know. The half capacity stuff—that's yeah. that's rough right now. But I I think that I think that things will shift, and I'm hoping that people are hungry for live music. People are hungry for it. People want to go hear anything. They want to feel good and feel yeah. connected. So I'm I'm faithful that that you're going to have your audience right there, and I, I hope I'll have mine too.
0: If I remember one of the last gigs we did I think in November of 2019 was in Woodstock and a couple of us made the pilgrimage to see you know the gravestones of some of the band greats you know and um you know found the big pink house Uh and I think for for groups like ours that don't really fit into any one genre that have the brass and the roots music sort of base. The band, the band is the pinnacle, right? It's like the weird guys who actually made it. Right. Right. And that, you know, is continues to be an inspiration, which is, you know, which is awesome. And I love, I love playing those songs. It's like inhabiting uh, a little dose of perfection every time you get in there.
1: Which was your favorite one to, did you, to play or perform.
0: <clears throat> I think singing The Weight
2: yeah.
0: is sort of just a spiritual experience kind of, you know, because I also think of the Aretha Franklin version, you know, I
1: love that version, yeah. and
0: like the different permutations of this song as a modern spiritual or a modern standard.
2: Hey, mister, can you tell me where a girl might find a bed? Can you tell me? I just grinned and shook my hand, and there was all it said. Take a walk, Take a free.
0: And people now, like, almost assume that's part of our set, you know? And young people don't even know who the band is, but they know that song. Right. It feels like, you know, Amazing Grace or something. It's something that's part of our universe. part of our
1: DNA now, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: She goes now, Amy Helm, everybody. You can go to amyhelm.com for her music. The newest record is called What the Flood Leaves Behind. It is gorgeous. Uh, it just came out in June on Renew Records' BMG. And uh, she actually has some live shows coming up, including this Friday, June 11th, at the Hamilton in Washington, D.C. She'll be playing in Delaware, too, and in Pennsylvania, and in Massachusetts, and uh, City Winery in New York. So please look that up. And uh, she'll be playing a Midnight Ramble at the Helm Studios in Woodstock, July 2nd. I believe the one in June is already sold out. Yes, it's true, live music is finally returning. Uh, June 20th, my band Dust Bowl Revival will be going up the Central Coast and playing a uh, limited capacity show at Live Oak Music Fest. I think they're setting it at Castoro Cellars in Templeton, California. That'll be a lot of fun. And it looks like in July, we'll be playing some shows on the East Coast, in Connecticut, in Maryland, in Virginia, and finally playing the Red Wing Roots Fest down in Southern Virginia, hosted by the Steel Wheels, who are on this very show. It is an amazing festival. If you're near Harrisonburg, Virginia, please come out and see all the wonderful bands there. I get to see uh, folks like Betty LeVette, who I've never seen live, who I had on this show, and she'll be there as well, so please check it out, redwingroots.com. And in the fall, we'll be playing a tour with Smooth Hound Smith out of Nashville. And we were supposed to play a tour with them back in 2020. And then we know what happened. Some big shows to look out for. The Hamilton in D.C. November 13th. The Troubadour in L.A. December 4th. And more. So please check that out. DustbowlRevival.com. If you wanna head over to our mothership, thebluegrasssituation.com, you'll see back in early May, they did a song premiere of Amy Helm's Sweet Mama, where she dives into how the song came to be. I wanna say a brief thank you to folks who've been listening to the show over the last few months, over the last few years, however you got here, Thank you for listening. It is my pleasure to bring you artists that really mean a lot to me. And it looks like we'll have new episodes coming up with MC Taylor of His Golden Messenger, Amigo the Devil, and Robert Finley, an amazing soul artist that recorded with Dan Arbeck of the Black Keys. So check that out on Thursdays, just like Seinfeld back in the must-see TV era. If you dig what we're doing here, we are a small operation and we need your help. Please leave us a kind review on Apple Podcasts, spread the word on Spotify, and you can go on our Instagram instagram at show on the road podcast to see exclusive videos of the artists doing their thing i apologize for all the new dog content but our pup sunny is just so cute and uh luckily she didn't bark yet during this recording so thank you for that sunny as always the show on the road is written produced and edited by yours truly zach lubiton and we are a part of the bgs podcast network stay safe get vaccinated and we'll see you on the
2: trail.